This show is brought to you by the guys at bullbitcoin.com. If you're in Canada and you want to buy Bitcoin, this is the place to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means when you make the purchase order, you input a receive address. So as soon as the Bitcoin is bought, it goes directly to your own self-custody. Speaking of which, if you need a little help with that, if you're not super confident about your self-custody or your security setup, the same guys operate bitcoinsupport.com where they have a variety of choices and packages available to choose from to help make sure that you get your Bitcoin self-custody arrangement set up securely, but also in a manner that you're going to be comfortable interacting with. Whether you choose to get some help with it or you choose to go to loan, the cold card Bitcoin hardware wallet by CoinKite is an excellent and trusted tool to have in your Bitcoin self-custody toolkit. This is the primary choice for the guys at bitcoinsupport.com. It's a primary choice for a lot of experienced Bitcoiners. They have an excellent brand and name and track record in the space. And they recently dropped the MK4 version of the cold card hardware wallet. With this version, you have a USB-C connector. You have NFC tap for all data types, PSBT, address, etc. You have a dual secure element. You have a USB virtual disk mode and lots of other fun stuff and features that, of course, we've all come to expect from the team at Coldcard and CoinKite. Visit CoinKite.com to learn more. And of course, check out all the other awesome products they have for helping you engage with your Bitcoin more securely and also having a bit of fun while you're at it. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. So, yeah. How are you feeling after the, the Miami come down? Well, I've, I've had a few things since Miami, uh, but Miami was a pretty incredible experience. That was the first time I went to a conference and I guess I'd waited until all this time and I got a chance to meet just about everybody. Uh, ne nowhere near enough time to spend as much time with everyone as I wanted to, but uh, it was pretty amazing just to see the energy in person. I guess there's really no way to describe it because if you could, it would suffice to describe it. But it is, um, it's an extraordinary energy of what's going on at the Bitcoin conference in Miami. And I'm going to try to get out to a few more conferences in the next 12 months and see if the same energy is there or if it's even a different energy. But it's incredible. It's just incredible to meet with all these other people who share the same passion and the same mission as something that you've signed up for, that you chose to sign up for, not something that you were drafted into. Unless, unless we talk about callings. <laughs> well, perhaps we will. But mm -hmm. before we do that, any any particular highlights that you know you you will cherish moving forward, or that you'll try to recreate in some capacity? Yeah, you know, I think it was the for me like the first day I I got there. I I I met someone. I met Fractal Encrypt, who I was rooming with, and helped him set up. Uh, some of his displays at the uh, at the conference, and it was just really amazing. I, I'd never seen his face before, right? Because and so you're like putting a face to a voice and a relationship that you've had, um, and that in itself was incredible. And that first night, I was invited to uh, an event held by the El Salvadoran Embassy, and that was really the first thing because there were so many incredible Bitcoiners there. And it was just like, wow, um, these are all these people who I've seen on the podcast and and written things to and talked with. And so it that was kind of I don't want to say it was overwhelming, but it was just uh, it was whelming, whelming. 
<laughs> it was extremely <laughs> whelming. It wasn't quite overwhelming, but it was severely well. It was severely whelming, and it it kind of got that rush out of oh wow, there's all these people to meet, and here they all are. And then you just found yourself naturally associating in certain conversations with certain people who are kind of cut from the same cloth of Bitcoiner as as you are caught in cut from. And, uh, and this sort of thing just kept on repeating day after day after day. And while there were opportunities to meet really highly influential people and rub elbows with them, what was really comfortable was just uh, sitting down and chatting with the people who were interested in and passionate about the same things you were, I was, so that we just ended up having these really interesting conversations. And, uh, and that was the best part of it because you just found your own people within your own people. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's, that was my takeaway last year, which was my first <clears throat> Bitcoin conference. And again, this year, and you know, it, it, you know, you talk about those influential people and so often they are just as humbled by this journey as you are, and that's where you meet. And so it's just like, you know, whether it's the pleb with one follower on Twitter or, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank famous person. If they have that attitude, the conversation is very similar, you know, because you're, you're just trying to engage in that dialogue where you flip these ideas back and forth and try to see if you can, you know, both use that as a means for getting further in your understanding and the, the, the accolades and all that kind of stuff is not really part of it, which is Mm -hmm. as it should be, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, and I guess there's there's so many different songs that Bitcoiners are singing there, you know, and there are different frequencies that they're vibrating at. And many of them are really interesting, right? But there are some that you're just, you want to be a part in singing it, right? So you, that's where you find yourself uh, really drawn to. But <laughs> when you get little bits and pieces of the tunes from other people, it's still, it's still really delightful. Like I, I had, I had a lot of small experiences where I'd meet some people in the hallway of the conference center, or there was a time when I was signing my book and lots of people came up and they said, Hey, Tomer, I'm X, right? I'm Y. And I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> sometimes I would recognize them, but so many people are uh, NIMS <laughs> that they had to say, I'm this NIM. And I'm like, wow, give me a hug. Um, and it was amazing. It was brief, but it was amazing. And, you know, they sang from their song. They, they, they were just who, who they were. And it was really delightful. And I wished I'd had more time. But by the time I got home, I was like, I hadn't slept more than three or four hours a night while I was there. And it was all, it was all like intensely highly tuned time. So there was a lot of energy being spent. Um, so I was really exhausted and it was kind of good. I had to isolate for a few days um, at my in-laws cottage because my daughter has an immunocompromised condition. We just have to be really careful with her. Um, so I got a few days to decompress and that, that in itself was really beneficial because I wasn't back to my old life. I was in this kind of suspended animation state, which was really useful to say like, what did I just experience and what, how do I integrate what I learned, um, and what I saw so that I can, I guess, reach for the next plateau that I'm aiming for. You know, what, what did I think I was going in with? What did I learn that was the same, that was different? And now what am I going to do? And it turned out to be time really well spent. Yeah. Well, I, I was exhausted when I got back and I, again, I didn't really realize it. So I guess it all just hits you, you know, cause I had, I was sleeping pretty well. I was only hung over one night, you know, I just mm-hmm. thought I was good, but I guess all the energy and the conversations and the standing up and the walking around and moving around, maybe that that's what did it. But, um, what is the answer to that question that you just posed to yourself in isolation? 
Um, or what kind of I clarity what, did you get on it? Yeah. So for me, um, I think part of the reflection was a, a, a little over a year ago, I set myself a goal that I would start writing about Bitcoin and sharing my ideas. And truth be told, from an ego perspective, I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to be appreciated. I wanted, I wanted those people who I looked up to, to ultimately recognize me and maybe even think of me as, as one of their own. And, um, and I got to Bitcoin 2022 and I, I said, I realized, wow, I kind of, I kind of did achieve that in that very short period of time. Like I, I know all these people who I consider really tremendous contributors to the space and, and they knew who I was. And, um, and again, that's shallow in a sense, but it was, it was kind of like a check, a check mark to say, well, I guess, I guess what I had to say was, um, was a valuable addition, a valuable contribution, uh, to the overall space and to many of the people who I admired most, um, there, there was something there. So, so that, that was really nice. And I, I kind of, I said, I said, if I had really worked to get here and I got here now, what? And I was thinking some of those thoughts as I went to uh, Bitcoin 2022, and I had some ideas about it. Um, it. Most of all, I think the most surprising experience to me, which was something that I hadn't planned to do in the last year was making a movie. Uh, Bitcoin is generational wealth. I had no intention. I thought I would, I, I'd made a vow to become a Bitcoin writer. And I thought that meant I would write a blog and the blog led to contributing to other blogs and publishing a, a couple of magazine like things and publishing a book. Uh, but the thing that really took me by surprise was, uh, Louis Liu, uh, who runs Mimesis Capital liked what I wrote. He liked an article that I wrote about fractal and crypts art at last year's Bitcoin conference. I, I responded, he, he, he did this mirror full node sculpture, which Lewis ended up buying. And I, I ended up writing an article about it. And Lewis reached out to me and said, I'd like you to write an article about something else. I really liked your writing. He, he of course read the article because he was the one who bought that sculpture and he wanted it to be about generational wealth in Bitcoin. And it was a really hard article to write. And I dragged my heels. First of all, I, I'd only ever written whatever I wanted to write. This was the first time someone asked me to write something. And, um, and I, and how can you write about uh, the challenge I was confronted with was how do you write about something that's generational wealth when it's only been around for 13 years? It like hasn't even been around for one generation. And then one day, and he asked me over and over again, very politely, very patiently. And, uh, and then one day it kind of hit me as a shower thought. It's like, well, you know, he's talking, the reason he thinks about it as generational wealth is because his family had their generational wealth seized and destroyed by the communists in China in 1948. So there's a backstory to this that goes to before 2008. It goes all the way back and I can, I can tell some history and I know my mother's family had the same thing happen. Not that they were terribly wealthy, but they were just, they were just civilians who had all their stuff taken away in Europe during World War II. And I'd had these aspirations to be a science fiction writer. And I said, you know what, if, if I can go backwards, a hundred years, I can go forwards a hundred years. And that was when the thing clicked for me. And I wrote the years 1948, the years 2008, the years 2021, and then I can do the years 2048 and the years 2109. And, and it all fell into place. And when I thought I'd had written the essay, I read it to some, I read it to my guide 
And I, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this needs to be a movie. So I mentioned that to Lewis and Lewis said, no problem, go ahead, make it a movie. Um, I was going to pay you something for it. I said, okay, well, give me that money and I'll spend it on making a movie. And I had just met a director and an editor here in the Toronto meetup. It was all like perfect synchronicity. And, uh, and that film got made in like five to six weeks. And the profound thing about the profound thing about the experience for me was just seeing how, uh, how strongly favorable the reactions to it were, how emotional they were. I try to write emotionally. I try to, I try to make people cry with my writing a lot of the time. And I, I, and I know the test is if I can kind of make myself cry with it. Like if I can be that heartfelt and overwhelmingly, like when, when we uh, previewed the first cut of the movie at the Toronto meetup and the guy who organized it put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I'm weeping Tomer. I was like, wow, there's something really magical uh, here. And, and then it, and then it overtook a whole bunch of us. And I just had overwhelming am amount of feedback about how people watched that film for hope and, um, and how it made them cry and with tears of hope. And I, I, as I went to my, this is a very long answer to your question. My question to myself was, can I raise my game now to not just continue to write about Bitcoin, uh, but to do this high quality content that connects with people emotionally, um, through video. And so I had some ideas and I'd written a couple of scripts or treatments, I guess is what they're called. Like I'm so new. I don't even know what the words are, what Hollywood uses as its words, but, and I, I had one that I thought was really interesting. We, we even made a little trailer for it, but part, but the big thing that I ended up taking away from Bitcoin 2022 was if we want to reach people who are potential Bitcoiners, but haven't been lured, haven't been persuaded, haven't been convinced by what we've said so far, more of the same obviously isn't going to work. And so many of us are in some way on the spectrum, as they say, like we care, we care about all these little details, right? Like in the same way that someone who, who's on the spectrum might care about model trains. And, and so like all the little trees and all the little railroads and all the little wheels and all the little engines and everything. It's like, we care about all these details from the, how a hash algorithm works to how Austrian economics describes things to what money supply is and what inflation really truly is. And most people don't really care about these things that much. Like they care about money, but they don't care about how money works. They don't care about the intricacies of what components make money up and what it's made out of. And the harder we try to explain, <laughs> I think the more they check out, the more bored they get. I know I, I have a hard time with certain people in my life who are like, if you're going to talk about Bitcoin, get out of here. <laughs> or, or I'm getting out of here. I just don't want to hear about it anymore. But, um, but I needed to find the thing that was going to be the magic. And, and the idea that I had going in was, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And then in that time that I had to meditate about things afterwards, like four or five days uh, going around I just started writing, which is what I do when I'm alone. And a number of ideas came up and some were dead ends and some made some very interesting articles, some of which I still have yet to publish. But one of them started as, oh, you know, here's a little idea that I'm going to put on my personal blog. And it got a little bit bigger. And I said, oh, you know, maybe this is something I'll do in the special magazine that I write for Swan's High Net Worth clients. And the more I wrote it, the more I was like, no, no, 
this is this is the thing <laughs> like this is the thing that if I can make a film out of this it'll actually be feature length and it will be the thing that Bitcoiners can watch and say yes this is this is a big motivation for me and why I do it not because of the mechanical details but something in my spirit and and no coiners or pre-coiners uh, will watch it and they will say I'm tired of being a part of this world the fiat world that world looks much more interesting that's the world I want to be a part of that's what my real calling is that's my, what my real desire is and that's where happiness lies so that's um that's a teaser for something that I'm, I'm I've just literally this morning completed writing a basic uh, treatment for and haven't haven't pitched yet to uh, potential investors because this is going to cost more than just uh, the pittance that the other thing did but I'm very excited about it and I, I hope I can put it together like I will put it together I have I'm making a commitment right here right so it's now. not a, a not a documentary it's like a dramatization mm -hmm. sort of thing is that the idea I actually it was going to be a dramatization but I think there's enough true ways to tell the story that it doesn't need to be dramatized like the thing with Bitcoin's generational wealth was people were very confused about what genre it was because the first five minutes was a documentary about 1948 to 2021 and then it projected into the future and that made it speculative fiction so it was it was half sci-fi half documentary and not and certainly not dystopian sci-fi but down-to-earth sci-fi right like if, with Bitcoin we can actually do wonderful things and so here's here's a wonderful future that's going to come about because of Bitcoin and people really enjoyed that who were Bitcoiners and connected with it and other people were like I don't see how you get from point A to point B I don't see how you get from 2021 with vaccine mandates and high inflation to 2048 where it's time of peace and healthy foods and people living for the long term and so on my initial reaction like th this is how many versions of the story I had to go through so my initial reaction was okay we're gonna explain like typical people on the spectrum exactly how we get from here to there this causes that causes this causes that and these other bad influences can't take place and it's and it would have been really exhausting and we were gonna do like five films one to explain energy one to explain education one to explain food and agriculture one to explain medicine and I think it would have been interesting to the same people who find me interesting already and um, and still frustrating and boring uh, to the rest of the people and then I had this other vision for something that really related to how Bitcoin is a spiritual awakening and I had a beautiful story written but it was gonna be almost impossible to produce in video because it was so conceptual and video was so visual so we could have done something really cool probably really expensive and again, I just don't think it would have connected with the masses. And then, um, and then gradually, it just like kind of, as I said, from right from writing different ideas that were in my head, this one blossomed into something that when I looked at it from a distance, it was, this is something that everybody can relate to. It's based in truth. It's based in a frustration that everybody in the world has, and something that has stopped for many people, but hasn't stopped for the Bitcoiners. And in fact, it's been reawakened for the Bitcoiners. And that is what I want to show the world that, you know, there's a group of people who aren't depressed and who are pursuing uh, happiness 
in in this world right now and and that's what i'm going to show i'm i'm not going to show how we get to 2048 i'm going to show what's actually happening in 2022 of people of what bitcoiners are actually doing to try to make their futures brighter and they know what they're working towards and they know what they're doing in the given day and that'll be contrasted against where the world has come to so that's what i'm really excited about so this is the the next big project then I, I, it's it's the next video project, the next film project for me, for sure. I never know what's going to come up. I just kind of follow, um, I guess in a sense, follow my heart, follow the calling, follow the follow the movement. I stumbled into, after I did the film, I stumbled into a project to make a movie, not to, not to make a movie, sorry, to make a book out of the original essay series that I wrote called Why Bitcoin? And it turned out to be a lot of work. Um, and this is not a complaint. I enjoyed like every, it just was a lot more work than I had estimated. I, I thought it would, I thought I'd already written the article. So what will it take to just edit them and stick and have somebody else stick them in a book? And it turns out it took hundreds of hours, maybe even a thousand hours, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I was reordering the articles, re-editing them, rewriting some, uh, Dramatically, I added one to the collection that was based off of another blog that I had written that people were really moved by. And I was really happy with the final outcome. And hundreds of people ordered the book and the feedback I got was tremendous. So I was really, really happy with that project that I had no idea I was going to get myself into. <laughs> um, it was an artist who got me uh, going on it because he had made a hardcover book to commemorate an artwork that he had made. It was only one of a kind uh, artwork, but he could published several books and I bought it and he said well why don't you make a book you've already written it and I'm like yeah you're right it should be easy you did a book and you hadn't written anything so I've already written it turned out not to be the other way and the artist was chief monkey and I, I the deal I had made with him was I'll write a book if you create a, a work of art that I can put on the cover and then you can sell it and that work of art was on display at the Bitcoin conference so I got to actually see it uh, which was really special and he got to sell it which <laughs> made him a little bit of income nice and it was um you know it was kind of this really special collaboration where we put our heads together on what the artwork that he ultimately made and uh and it was really a, a lovely piece of art awesome so when you hit me up a few days ago there was uh, i think something in particular you had in your mind that you wanted to break into based on some of the thoughts and experiences and sentiments yeah. emerging in you uh, yeah. recently. I think yeah. maybe one of the conversations that we had on the huddle hang, I think might have triggered triggered it in you that you wanted to discuss it and maybe some other peripheral experiences. I don't know if you're yeah. uh, uh, able to break in or discuss those, but why don't you hit me with what's been on your mind? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I so this is kind of a, alongside Bitcoin. I've, I've, I've been, and we discussed this the last time I was on your show, which a lot of people came up to me um, and said it was a really interesting show. <laughs> Some people told me that they listened to it like three times. So there was something that was really, I, I, <laughs> you were, you conducted a great interview and got a lot out of me. So I, I've been going through a very rapid process that has, that, Start, I don't know, a year ago when I started writing, I said I was an atheist and then I had a spiritual awakening in which I ended up believing in God and ultimately believing in Jesus. I actually got baptized at the Bitcoin conference 
uh, on uh, the first the first day at the like like a real baptism or like a bitcoin like a real thing no like okay. a, like a real christian baptism um at the at the thank god following the thank god for bitcoin conference which was oh, the day right, before the thing and and i've continued to go down this uh spiritual journey which is not not solely based off of uh, traditional organized religion but it, but certainly not exclusive um exclusive of it and uh and uh hearing um, i think it was when you had uh, eric case and american hoddle and robert breedlove on your show and you guys were talking about Really, like I, I can see the nervousness because I'm experiencing it right now. Like to to say that you think Bitcoin may be holy, maybe something divine, is um, is something that a lot of us have had some experiences with, and we may be scared of thinking ourselves crazy, thinking of other people thinking we're crazy, doubting of our experience with it, doubting if we're overreaching, if we're underreaching. There's just there's. There's a lot going on there, and I can't say with 100% certainty any of this stuff because it's all faith-based. Um, but there's just some extraordinary things in terms of what Bitcoin leads people to um, to exploring, which is which is even broader than just, um, it doesn't just take you str strictly, like it's strictly to the Bible. It takes you all over the spiritual realm and all over the mathematical realm and all over all of these realms. I think this goes back to something that you and I discussed the last time we were together. Maybe we kind of anchor back there and start exploring from there, which is there's truth in Bitcoin. And it is this system. It's a self-contained truth. And it relies on math. It relies on its own rules. But everything in it is not something you need to trust. It's something you can verify. And you can dig deep. And you end up digging deep into mathematics and deep into economics and and when you dig through some of these things you find that there were falsehoods that you were raised to believe and you find that they're not true and i think this is where the spiritual awakening comes from like this this whole big movie that i wrote that i'm now not sure how what to do with that piece of content was called bitcoin the spiritual awakening and it and it first starts off by saying why does bitcoin cause a spiritual awakening in people and my reflections is the first part of it is people hear the story of Bitcoin and the story of Satoshi Nakamoto. And, you know, um, we're raised in a world where, first of all, people say, well, you know, the experts know everything. There's mathematicians there's scientists. And in one particular case, they said there is no solution to this esoteric mathematical problem called the Byzantine generals problem. It has no solution. And, uh, and it's done, so don't bother. And we, you know, to the extent that any of us uh, took it, we might have, you know, if we were really curious, we might have taken a look at the proof and we said, yeah, the proof checks out. You can't solve the Byzantine general's problem. Same way as you can't express pi as a rational number. It's irrational. There's a proof. Can't be done. And then one day some guy shows up and he does it. And so look, it's kind of a minor miracle. I mean, he... he he pushes at the edges of the definition of the problem and at the edges of the definition of the problem when some of the assumptions get a little bit blurry he's come up with a solution and he calls it bitcoin and uh and if it had stopped there it would have been an interesting thing someone softened the edges of a hard problem and found a solution to it in the in the blurry edges but 
um, it challenges another thing that we've all been raising, the same thing, let's think Bitcoin. Uh, it also challenges something else we were grown up, uh, we were raised to believe, which is the governments control everything. The governments say what is the law and what is not the law, and they can stop anything that other human beings create because they have police forces and courts and armies. But it turns out that this thing, uh, they can't stop. So it's, it's a minor mathematical miracle, and it's kind of this exception to the rule of everything else that we grow up with. And it's not just them. It's like the corporations own all the assets, and they have all the power over everything. And say, like, well, they don't over this. So it's another minor miracle uh, that this thing is not controlled and not controllable by the most powerful, all, all the most powerful things and people in the world, governments, politicians, millionaires, influencers, celebrities, none of them can control are in charge of this thing. Nobody is in charge of this thing. And we're also raised to believe in the social sciences and the psychology sciences. Look, I hate to break it to you, but people are greedy. And if you want to understand human beings, you just understand the incentives. People act for fame. They act for power. They act for money. And who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Nobody knows, but we do certainly know he didn't do this for the fame. None of us know who he is. He didn't do it for the power. He relinquished all, he could have had some control and influence over Bitcoin, but instead he disappeared and relinquished all the power. And he didn't do it for money either. He, I, he did it for money, <laughs> like for this idea of money, but not for personal money. He, he never spent his coins. He disappeared and left them all abandoned, untouchable. And so by the time you've heard the story of the creation of Bitcoin and you've actually gone in and checked some of this stuff out, yeah, like there really was a Satoshi Nakamoto. There's all his posts on the, on the forum. Here's all the other collected writings that people claim he made. Here's how it rolled out. In, indeed, it's unstoppable, unstoppable by the government, unstoppable by corporations, unseizable. And it does indeed solve this Byzantine generals problem. It like shatters all these things you grew up with, right? And all these beliefs that you walked around in this world believing the government decides this, the corporations do that, experts say this. And it's like, that's all gone, right? And you're left with your whole, so much of your worldview is actually shattered. It's, it's at a subconscious level, right? Like I'm bringing it to the surface, but this all happens at a subconscious level. It's like, well, hold on a minute. The, you know, the government isn't in charge of everything. And I like the fact, I like that. I like it, right? That's why, that's why so many people get into Bitcoin. And I like that Satoshi isn't around. And I like that he didn't do this for greed and power and fame. Why? Why do I like all these things? And it shows you something about your character, that you like these things, because it says, I'm not like what I was told everything is when I was raised. I'm actually interested in something that is not greedy and I'm interested in freedom from these things that I was told were all powerful. The, you know, all these different types of priests, if you will, right? The priests of government who claim the government can do anything and the priests of money who claim that the corporations can buy everything and, and the priests of science who say, we've already figured out exactly. We know that the universe will die a heat death in 10 to the 100 years. It's like, no, you don't. You haven't seen another universe before in your life. You've seen, and this universe is like, you're talking about 
a hundred billion, 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 billion years, and the whole thing's not even a hundred billion years old yet. It's only, it's not even a tenth that old, according to you, which now I'm not even sure if it is. Like, we don't know. There's a humility about this and a humility uh, towards others. It doesn't say you're all powerful, but it says the people who claim to be all powerful, they're not all powerful. They are human and frail and if they tell you that they can do something and that you can't satoshi nakamoto and bitcoin showed you that that's not true it showed you that somebody can come in and do something that they say he can't do and that they can't do something that they say they can do which is stop everything so it's this profound thing and 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 but it wipes away this um it wipes away all these beliefs that you grew up with and so it shatters some things about your belief system a lot of things it turns out right like lots of these are what you what you might call deeply held truths and you see bitcoin right? like it's deeply held truth that the experts know what's going on and after bitcoin comes around you're like you're not so sure anymore and maybe you're sure that it's wrong and so these things that were deeply held truths are now deeply held falsehoods and you're desperate for truths, right? Your mind abhors a vacuum. And so this vac you, you start to fill in this vacuum. And that process of filling in the vacuum becomes a spiritual journey that many of us go on. You might call it a spiritual awakening in a sense because it's, well, all that stuff is false. So like, what is true then? What, do, what is possible? What are human beings? Like Satoshi doesn't say human beings are this. It's just his story says, well, they don't have to be just greedy jerks, selfish jerks. There's something else. We don't, he doesn't say why he created Bitcoin. He doesn't say why he abandoned it or why he left. We all have our theories, but we don't know what his final motivation was. We just know that it wasn't what we were raised to believe. So there's all these unknowns. It's not like we have new, it's not Satoshi came and said, I've got all the answers now. I'm the prophet and you know, this, this, no, he just he came around and he shattered all these old beliefs that we have and he proved that they were wrong and then he disappeared. And so he leaves us to figure it out, which I think is an even greater gift right, than, than the gift of answers. It's the gift of asking questions. And, um, and so I think that's the journey that so many of us are going on. And when, and when I, exp I open myself up to all these possibilities of what might be, it's suddenly the universe has gone from being three-dimensional to being 10-dimensional. There's all these possibilities. It's very psychedelic. It's very extraordinary. It's very spiritual. It's very everything that you would have thought doesn't exist like we, we before bitcoin came around i lived in a perfectly materialist deterministic world and anyone who believed anything else was a fool and now i've crossed over to the other side and i don't know exactly what to believe and how to integrate all these ideas and many things come as emotions rather than as facts and so i have to i have to have a place for those things in my mind anyway i'm doing a little bit of a ramble right now but uh, that was, I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> well, that's okay. Rambling is a good way to stumble on thoughts that you hadn't articulated before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a few things, there's a few questions I have off the back of that. You know, I've, I've been mm -hmm. obviously spending a lot of time thinking about these concepts myself and speaking to a lot of people to try to get uh, some insight into their perspective and their experiences here. And 
trying to, you know, starting to write again, not sure what the inevitable outcome of that's going to be, but obviously there's something here, you know, and I hear you saying all this. And I think a couple of things that Bitcoin is emblematic of, and, and one of them is that when you offer the world, when you offer human consciousness, such a profound and inalterable and viable truth and the degree to which that truth permits access to a a type of freedom and perhaps the greatest type of freedom the fact that it's accruing value so quickly is just so such um such a great example of the value of those principles themselves right of truth or a bitcoin has monetary value like i totally forgot about that but yeah <laughs> like but that's what <laughs> sure, there's that's that too that's what we're what what's happening, right? You have yeah. this thing, and people are are saying, "I'm I'll sacrifice my other forms of wealth, my fiat, mm -hmm. my work and time, mm -hmm. in order to earn those satoshis, such that I can sacrifice it to the altar of freedom and truth, as represented in this right. entity." Yes. And I I think what's interesting when we talk about perspective, and when we talk about even the notions of something like God, and I want to ask you, I want to go back to something you said also, but I think. These things like truth and freedom and love, these are, I would say, or like perhaps the most um, informative values that help us orient our perspective. And I, yeah. I, I like to think of, of the, like the highest values that help that orient. Let me put it this way. I think what we're trying to do when we're trying to determine what is the optimal perspective to have as human consciousness, let's say, and you, you, you know, you've just articulated how, uh, when you insert an or a phenomenon like this, and when you allow your perspective to be oriented by and engage on the basis of truth and freedom, for example, mm -hmm. a lot of the conditioning that you've been subject to throughout your life. And a lot of the assumptions that you've just taken as de facto true, they dissolve away and they have to be reconstituted. And this is why, you, you know, you are explaining why this is tantamount to a spiritual awakening, because now mm -hmm. you're looking through a lens of truth and freedom and reconstituting everything on that yeah. basis. And so you, it yeah. doesn't matter where you look, you can look at the institutions of politics and big business yeah. and science and yeah. religion and everything. And now it's being put through a filter of mm -hmm. a, a, a more pristine, you know, frame of truth and freedom, and you're the one in control in, in, yeah. in, in reconstituting it and building it up from there. And right. of course, that's going to deliver to you a vastly different outcome in terms of the perspective that it, that gets built up as a result of that. And mm -hmm. I, I think what we're perhaps one of the primary enterprises of consciousness is trying to cohere the values that orient your consciousness with mm -hmm capital V values, capital G God, capital T truth that orients something grander that, than we're able to perceive, right? And it's that mm -hmm. coherence. Like if we want to say what's the most rational or valid perspective to have as human consciousness, I think it's something about allowing certain conceptual values that we're able to grasp and using them to orient ourselves such that they allow us to cohere most closely with what is. And yeah. if we want to call what is God, or if we want to just call it the universe, or if we want to yeah. call reality, I'm fine with any of those, those terms, but I, but it seems to me that these, these notions or values or principles like truth and freedom and love, perhaps mm -hmm. primary among them are the best ways of establishing that optimal coherence. 
and you know and 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 i think that's partly why we we lack the language to to articulate what's going on beyond saying spiritual experience religious experience mystical experience mm -hmm. something because i mean that's always been the case you know if you look out throughout the ages of theology or spirituality or religion and people mm -hmm. try to articulate what what's happening when you open the bandwidth of that relationship to the, the source or force that animates things, you know, mm -hmm. and you might just say, you know, and a lot of people do just say, well, there's nothing there. It's just inert. There's laws of the universe, but other people might say, you know, those, those laws are parameterized or have a source in something. And it would seem to be that that source actually does have characteristics. It's not just an, it's not just yeah, like a, well, he, an invisible I, I force that we can't articulate. And I think it, I, these, these themes, I'll just, yeah. let me finish this point. Go you can go yeah, for it. Go these themes somehow, which we have developed words for as truth, as freedom, as love, and the sentiments that they inspire within us somehow resonates with the, the basis of that force that generates everything else that we experience in, in quote unquote reality in the universe. And so um, to the extent that Bitcoin is allowing us to uh, integrate those things more pristinely than before or more clearly than before or see by them more clearly than before, I don't think it's too surprising that it's engendering these sorts of responses. Anyways, that was long-winded itself, so you go. It was great. It was great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you you did it. And you know, we could go around back and we we can hit this ball back and forth a lot on truth, miracles, freedom, love, all of these uh, spiritual ideas. But where I was just going to say is, I think um, I, this is going to be a little bit of a repetition of what I've said. But I, I'm I'm trying to integrate what you have said so that we're kind of building this thing together um, here, and and we're climbing up and we're playing leapfrog. Um, so that we're both in the same place. And it is, I think, we were raised in a world where we were told humanity has figured out the answers. And it's not a, it's not a pleasant universe. You know, like it is, um, it's cold. It's doomed. You're doomed. Uh, you're not a particularly awesome creature. I think it's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal what happened, but you're just, you're defined by greed. You're defined by your lust. You're defined by sin. Right? You're defined by short-term stuff. And we've figured it all out, you know, and, and the best we can do out of it is make all these, you know, fancy resorts and fancy foods and, you know, and, and it's destroying the environment and we, and we give up. Like the earth is going to heat up and we're all going to die. Like that's the world we were brought in and we know it from science. So don't bother to debate it. And some people are like, well, wait a minute, maybe this theory is flawed and maybe that theory is flawed, but nobody's kind of questioning, is there something even deeper going on? There's this acceptance that we live in a mechanical, deterministic world and the phenomenon of being conscious is just this thing that is part of evolution so that you can survive before you stop surviving and, and that's it. And, um, and there's been lots of people who've held different ideas and we said, oh, well, they were primitive. They, you know, they, what a primitive culture to believe in spirits and souls and gods and, and morality and all these other things. These are just chemicals squirting and molecules orbiting each other. And, and this was the world we were raised in. And the more philosophical and the more curious you got, the more evidence there was piled up to say that that's the world. And 
and for me, and I'm not exactly sure how it happened, right? But I, I was, I ascribed to that, and I was convinced, or at least so I, or so I said at least. But like somewhere deep down inside of me, still was this dreamer, this believer in something bigger, and I knew that it was true, deep, deep, deep down inside. No matter how much rationalism I buried it under, and Bitcoin broke it all open, and it let it all loose. And now I'm like, I. I'm like the animal let out of the cage and wandering in the forest all of a sudden, right? There's this whole vast thing and I, and there's all these directions. I can go up a tree. I was just in a cage before. I can go down the stream. I can go towards the sunset. I can go towards the sunrise. I can climb the mountain. I can go into the valley. There's all these places that I were told didn't exist or that I wasn't even told that they don't exist. They were never even spoken about <laughs> because there was the cage. And we, I think we were in this cage of rationalism and science. And it's not that those things aren't true. Logic is true and valid. And much of science is true and valid, although much of what passes as science today is untrue and invalid. So one has to really distinguish um, what really is science and what's a guy wearing a white suit and a stethoscope claiming to be a scientist. Right? There's a big difference between pretending to be a scientist and actually doing science. But um, without, without digressing there, there's so much that we are suddenly exploring. And I think this is interesting. We're, we're in a renaissance, a rebirth. There's lots of different fields to explore. We haven't figured it all out, right? We're in these early stages. This is, Bitcoin's been around for 13 years. For many of us, we've only known about it for eight, seven, five, like three years. So this new frontier, this new horizon for us is brand new and we're starting to explore it and we're bound to make all kinds of mistakes and we're bound to have all kinds of confusion until we arrive at some conclusions. Maybe some of the conclusions we'll arrive at are going to take us hundreds or thousands of years to to really resolve because it feels like such a big horizon that we've broken through. But when we look at various ages in human history, and I think the Renaissance is one of them, and the age of reason, depending on what you want to call it, is a very interesting one because so much knowledge was developed so quickly, but then it kind of hit a dead end. And I, I don't know, for, for me, it seems like the dead end was quantum mechanics kind of discovered. It was a little weird. We couldn't penetrate it. We haven't made any progress in this field in the last 60 or 70 years. I, I don't think it's because of fiat money. It might have been the same kind of thinking that led to fiat money. But we, we've hit this dead end in our understanding of what's going on there. And, and we haven't really progressed. And but it was such a rich and fast field. Like from, I, I think Einstein is credited with being the first person to think about quantum theory, proving that Adam, like people didn't know that Adams, it wasn't proven before Einstein. Like there was a theory that matter might be made out of atoms, but we certainly didn't know what atoms looked like. They don't really look like anything. Light doesn't really bounce off of them, but we, you know, and we have all these constructs and, and in a hundred years, we ran so far so quick with good science and we proved that they exist and nuclear reactors are proof that they exist and uh, and uh, but then but then we hit a dead end so we're kind of at the beginning of a new age not kind of we are at the beginning of a new age and there's no point in denying it and it's exciting and it's amazing and we're not we're not in this incorporation uh, going to live to see the end of it, but it's so exciting to be part of the beginning. We're like the pilgrims. We don't, we're not going to see New York City with skyscrapers. We might not even see New York, Manhattan being a part of, of what we're, of what we're doing, but 
we're, we're, we've gone on to this new frontier and we're exploring it and it is wild. <laughs> like we're seeing things that nobody ever saw before. And like, did you just see what I just saw? It's like, yeah, I think I saw the same thing you just saw. And what does that, does that mean that people in the old who were talking about monsters were actually talking about these things or people who were talking about this were actually talking about that? Maybe, who knows? That's where we're at right now. And it's like such an exciting time to be exploring this. And right, like when I first started writing about Bitcoin, I was, I was very prolific. There was all this stuff. And I'm like, Enjoy it while you've got it because you're going to run out of stuff to write about because how much stuff can there possibly be to write about Bitcoin, right? Like you're going <laughs> to, there were a couple of moments where I had like a little bit of writer's block, but no, it's like, oh, now I've got the freedom path and I've only written like this six articles about freedom and there's the love path and there's the love and freedom path and there's the freedom and miracles and the freedom and love and miracles. And there's just, there's so much to explore and to try to wrap your head around and to be humble about right? Like I think this is where people are very, are speaking very truthfully when they say nobody really understands what Bitcoin is showing us, right? And it's not because Bitcoin is showing us, it's because Bitcoin kind of opened this portal to us realizing that so much of what we have, we thought were final conclusions and final determinations. No, they're not. They are many of them are kind of this dead end and we need to go back down the street a little bit and pursue a different fork in the body of human knowledge and um and it's really beautiful too is the other thing like everything that i'm seeing and everything that i'm learning i'm i'm discovering the point like i i here's just one kind of spiritual lesson that i don't think i mentioned it's like we have our senses right we exist as living beings and uh and we like we we put we have to put stuff in our mouths to eat and we have to smell it first and it doesn't like when you smell something it doesn't smell this chemical is suitable and non-poisonous and healthy and when you taste something it doesn't these molecules are nutritious that's not the way you see your smell and taste and see when here you taste deliciousness you smell a lovely aroma or a disgusting aroma but you but our senses it cause us to experience the universe in a form of appreciation or resist or whatever the opposite of appreciation is but it's an emotion and like i can i'm looking out a window and i glance over my computer here and i appreciate a beautiful a beautiful skyline and a beautiful forest that's standing in front of it and the word is beauty and it's not it's not the mechanical mechanistic deterministic beautyless universe that we are told in philosophy and science class is what describes everything. This tree that's growing out my window is beautiful and other human beings are beautiful and food is delicious and music is harmonious, right? And so, and the things are elegant and we have all these words that come as close as we can to describe what our actual experience is and our actual experience is not atoms bounced against atoms and created magnetic field. It's, it's, it was, beauty there was passion there was glory there was all this wonderful stuff and and that's how we are evolved or created to experience reality and if if we are the universe experiencing itself which many people have said in in some ways and so is all life and who knows how much how abundant it is like it's appreciating itself it's not just it's not just conscious that it exists it's conscious that 
it's beautiful and that aspects of it are beautiful and or delicious or wonderful whatever whatever term you want to use against whatever sense and who knows what other senses exist on what other planets in what other solar systems and what other galaxies right there's just there's so much and and at least here on earth it's all beauty <laughs> like it's all appreciation every creature has come about to really appreciate stuff you can see little you can see bunny rabbits on youtube eating little pieces of carrot and appreciating it right? and you can see the sunflowers appreciating the warmth of the sun and moving in its direction and you can see the bees flying towards the flowers and appreciating the pollen that they're getting from it. There's just so much love in, in the world. So you can't dismiss it. Um, and in fact, you shouldn't dismiss it. You should embrace it and you should let it wash over you. And when you let the love really wash over you, it is a very different experience in the world that we were told was the world that, ex at least that I was told was the world that exists when I grew up. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as though we experience the world in a, in a manner that allows us to value things, mm -hmm. you know? So we experience the world as meaning and value rather than as, mm -hmm. you know, molecules and, and, and laws. Right. And that's, I think, you know, that's an obvious evident truth. Anybody, I don't think anyone would dispute that, but when mm -hmm. it comes to the most meaningful things about life, as you say, whether we call it love or truth or freedom or, or God, or these sorts of things, they're dismissed through a criteria of mechanics and material rather yeah. than through the, the criteria of meaning and value, which just those, I, I don't think that should be the case. And, you know, you started off by saying basically a critique of our, our overly material deterministic world. And I would agree, and, and no one's going to dispute the, the benefits of having that lens available to us as well. But mm -hmm. I think what we're striving for here is the optimal synthesis between all the realms of perception and meaning that we have available to us and trying mm -hmm. to constitute the best form of existence possible by doing so. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think all these realms that we're talking about, and, and it's obviously, it's so difficult to find the, the words here, you know, without sounding overly woo woo and all that kind of jazz, right? Like, mm -hmm some weird mix of hippies and Spartans and finance bros all mixed together. And it's just a, a right. strange combination. Yeah. But I, I do think that because, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's Jesus, let's say, I mean, I see these as ideas that extend and, and uh, extract potential latent within us from us. It's not like they're yeah. giving something to us that's not already available to us. It's just that all technology provides us the means of basically expanding our, ourselves into new domains, but it's still ourselves or our minds that are expanding into them. And so we don't so much, I don't, you know, we don't look at it and praise it as a thing in itself. We look mm -hmm. by it. We see by these ideas and principles, we see by these examples, we see by these technologies. And, um, you know, and, I, and so I think for that reason, I don't think, I, I don't want to overly rely on um, a, a sort of throw my hands up in, in sort of a faith approach to things. Like, I do think there's a strong case to be made that we've over emphasized the rational, logical, material aspect of ourselves and our consciousness. But I also think that if, if these ideas are going to be operable in actually orienting our perspective toward the optimal the optimal good let's say mm -hmm. um 
then I, I think there is a logical and rational and reasonable way to arrive at that destination. Like, I, I don't mm -hmm. think, of course, God or whatever word you use for that domain is ultimately ineffable. But I don't, but I think it, I think we can logically get to the place where we see the role for that ineffable thing. And I think, you know, as you said at the beginning in, in our culture today, and perhaps for the last hundred years, and perhaps increasingly in our, in our current era, it's been so hubristically and arrogantly dismissed the pursuits of those who came before us and trying to understand that ineffable thing. You know, and it, it's, and I've familiarized myself with a lot of the writing over the last several months, especially of, of mystics and theologians and those sorts of people that came before us. And I mean, they were incredibly capable thinkers. They weren't, mm -hmm. you know, just, they didn't drink the Kool-Aid and just, you know, scribbling some nonsense yeah. that, that, that doesn't stack up. It's yeah. really, really, really thoughtful uh, ideation right. and writing. And they were grappling with the same, you know, they existed in, in a time that unfolded at the same pace and they existed in the same natural mm -hmm. environment as us. And they were, you know, very much the same as us. They just wore different clothing and had different cultures and languages available to them. And we shouldn't, and, and we've just, this era that we're in has dismissed and, and diminished their impact and their relevance and their contributions so yeah. hastily to our, to our, extreme yeah, now we have to rediscover we have to right. rediscover what they already knew in, in, exactly in our, in our and and, and and build on it because the right. you know the world is different now and the culture yeah. is different now and the ideas yeah. that are available to us are different now and so what i think our task is is now that we have a, a means by which we can perceive greater truth and our task is kind of to reconstitute the world on that basis is mm -hmm. to revisit all of those things and try to piece it together better than it's ever been pieced together before, because otherwise, right. what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, and, and th this is, this brings me back to a question I wanted to ask you, you know, 30 minutes ago now, but uh, you, you know, you said you went to the, thank God for Bitcoin conference in Miami, mm -hmm. you were baptized, you believe in, in Jesus and God. And this is a theme obviously that seems to be emerging amongst Bitcoiners. But I wanted to ask you, when you say you believe in Jesus, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, well, I've meant different things on different days at different points in time, right? So the, the, the first was, do you believe that a man lived 2,000 years ago who performed healing miracles and other miracles and rose from the dead and was the son of God, some aspect of God and a very forgiving and loving aspect of God? And, you know, a, a year ago I would have said, like, this is crazy. I was raised Jewish, right? So to the atheist Jew, which is in a sense, it sounds um, self-contradictory, but in the Jewish tradition and so right. taught the traditions and things and even thinking that the Old Testament was silly, but there's, this isn't spoken explicitly, but there's this view, it's like, it's pretty crazy, the story of Jesus, right? Like, as I just summarized it, this notion that someone came back from the dead, look, nobody comes back from the dead. That's kind of like, that's the point, right? That's the point of the story. Like the, the exceptionalism here, uh, you know, if we say all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, Socrates must be mortal, the famous syllogism that's taught in every logic class. Well, all men are mortal. <laughs> Jesus is a man, but he wasn't mortal. Um, so there's this extraordinary story, and there's got to be some historic truth 
or a lot of historic truth around this story that spread like wildfire. And I don't think it was a conspiracy of 12 disciples got together and said, let's make up this story and let's spread it. There's lots of eyewitness testimonies. Something, something extraordinary went on at that point in time in history, quite probably something very similar to the story, if not exactly the story. And one can surrender a belief in it. But, but more of late is, has been for me the spiritual connection with this idea, which is the idea of accepting you through love, right? Like, which is, and, you know, Jesus' commandments are love each other and love me. And in, in a sense, there's a love yourself in that thing too. And, it's, and by saying you're forgiven for all these things that you would have been ashamed of because the things that are considered sins aren't just things that are sins as written in the Bible. They're things that we, on our heart, feel are sins, most of them, right? Like, I, I couldn't go around killing people and thinking, well, it's, the only reason I otherwise wouldn't have done it is because I needed to believe that God was going to punish me. It's like, no, I really, I really think murder is bad, and I really think theft is bad, and I really think lying, just making statements that aren't true, falsehoods, is bad and so on and so forth, right? And doing anything non-consensual to another human being is pushing the limits. Uh, these things obviously come in various degrees, so the more severe the degree, the more immoral and wrong it is. But there, and, and, and there are things that I'm very self-critical of myself about, which aren't really things that I'm hurting other people, but they're things that I'm embarrassed about or things that I'm ashamed of. And, uh, and in a sense, with the spirit of Jesus is, is you're okay, right? Like I accept you as you are, which is a, a complete inversion of look at how flawed you are and how unworthy you are and how shameful you are. Shame on you for being what you are. It's the opposite. And this is the tremendous beauty of it to me. It's like I, I've experienced this in so many different ways, but just self-acceptance. Or, and like if, if you accept that something in the universe that's divine or powerful or, you know, we, we keep struggling for words here, so we'll just not keep grasping at words. If you accept that it accepts you, why don't you accept yourself? <laughs> like if you're good enough for Jesus, maybe you're good enough for you. Uh, not maybe. Yes, you're, you're good enough. Um, you're good. There's nothing to hate about yourself. You're especially the kinds of things that other that kids would have shamed you about at school like it does that's just immaturity right and you've now grown up feeling insecure around other people and having performance anxiety and wanting to be and comparing yourself to other people there's nobody else to compare yourself to there's no standard there's no perfection and that you need to try to be like the perfect thing we're all unique we're all different we all have different tastes some are good, you know, some of the things that I like, other people don't like and vice versa. And as long, and if I'm not forcing the things I like on them and they're not forcing the things they like on me, there's no conflict of interest between us. There's, I, I may even appreciate, you know, that person likes that thing. That's great. I'm glad somebody likes it. I don't. And, um, and so we're each, I, this sounds like old hat stuff, but I think there's a deeper level to it than what we repeat, which is, in my personal journey, and I think everyone could state this to themselves in the first person as well. It's like, I'm, 
I accept myself the way I am. And I try to avoid using words like perfect or normal or flawed. Right? Like there's that concept is not appropriate. I was talking about this with some other people the other day. There's no such thing as perfection. This this was one of Plato's big mistakes. Plato believed that there's perfect forms somewhere outside the universe, and that every physical, every concrete thing we see in this universe is an imperfect projection of the perfect form of something. But that's that's not correct. There's no perfect human and we're projections we're false flawed projections of what it means i should have been taller i should have had more hair it should have been this color i should have liked these things but not those things i should have this attitude and not that attitude i should have these tastes and not those tastes it's not the case everything is unique and natural and that that to me it's not things are normal things are everything in the universe is natural it occurred in nature I'm natural, you are natural. And attempting to measure it in a yardstick of perfection or imperfection, you know, or good or flawed, is a mistaken standard. And we talk about a Bitcoin standard by which to measure the value of all things. And it's an attempt to quantify something. And, the high, and, and in some sense, where the higher the quantity, the better, or the, preci the precisely close to a particular metric, the better. But there's no perfect height. You're tall, I'm not, right? Like some women will prefer you over me, right? Like the, but that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't make me unnatural and it doesn't make you more natural. Like we're both perfectly natural projections of whatever's happened in the universe. And the more that we can accept that what we are is natural, the more we will actually appreciate and love life. Um, because we can appreciate and love ourselves and as we are and not feel ashamed for anything about ourselves that is not of our doing or that's of our choice, which isn't harmful to anybody else. And no matter what kids made fun of you for some of these things about yourself at some point or whatever that, you know, the news media says you shouldn't feel this way because they, that's what's in vogue right now. It's like, let it go get in touch with yourself and be yourself and find what is the what you view as the good and valuable and the more that you can do the things that you love the more of the more you are yourself right the more like you why do i love certain things why do i love certain foods why do i love cooking there's just something in my essence that is there's a way to experience the world that's delicious and and beautiful in that sense and i like to experience deliciousness there's lots of other things i like to experience sensually and it's not wrong there's no the notion that it is wrong to do those things is a flawed standard by which to judge because there's no right either there's what's right for you anyhow I'm, i've gone out you, you asked me what is jesus and i went off on a whole bunch of different things here but i, well, I think that, that, that this journey the, got me to that answer Sure. That the last statement you made there is is interesting, but there's no right either. And you know, because I think part of this reconstitution that we've been discussing as a result of this new frame that uh, we've been uh, we've adopted, let's say, is it going to be a reconstitution of everything? Which is why I'm I'm taking my time in looking at the religious or spiritual or mystical domain, and not you know, not just looking backwards and 
and adopting something that's been developed in a different environment and with different thinking with different mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. I'm not dismissing it either, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saying that it, it could be the case that with this new way of seeing things and in this new cultural environment that we're in, there may be greater clarity to be derived on this relationship that we constitute with the ineffable, let's say. And I think, you know, you could say a lot of times, a lot of the things that I've read recently, I think when various culture heroes, figures, gods in a variety of different religions and uh, theological traditions, when they say, you know, love me above everything else, it seems to me, at least in part, what they're saying is the values that I'm representative of, subordinate yourself to those, those values more than anything else. Right. And they often seem to be things like truth and freedom and love and, and, you know, perhaps others, but those are, those are some of the, those yeah. are the big three. Yeah. And, and, and what I, the reason why I want to ask you on the, on the last part of your statement is because I think what that means is, is hold those as the highest values to orient your perception and your behavior. And it's likely that that will foster the optimal or best version of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. With all of the acceptance and, and then and then actually then you can rightly accept what results to your, the point that you were just making. Yeah. But if you don't do that, if you don't hold those values or principles at the top of, let's say, your value hierarchy, if they're not the things that most orient you, mm -hmm. then who you will be, be by virtue of the actions that you take based on whatever is orienting you will be suboptimal, will be less coherent with you know, the hot, the things that most order yeah. outcomes. And so when you mm -hmm. say something like, you know, there is no right and there is no wrong. How well, does I need to, I need to contextualize that. Right. I, Cause I'm not saying one plus one isn't two, right? Like one plus one is two. That's a truth. That's correct. That's that. Sure. Right. Sure. No, I'm, I'm talking about in the domain of values. Yeah. Um, and, and I do, I do find uh, that ha attempting to have a like th there's this immediate contradiction if you say uh what's wrong is right or what's right is is wrong but but mm -hmm. if, if i'm saying like you're saying truth is one of these values well truth is in a sense axi an axiomatic value because it's it's irreducible beneath truth like if if because if you attempt to say what's false is right you've essentially committed a logical fallacy right there right like and and so in the context of what I'm trying to describe, it's like, I can't love myself for being tall. I'm not tall, right? So the, the falsehood is, is not there. I, I need to accept myself as I am, right? I, I need, so I need to be truthful about what I am. That's the real, and, and this is the hardest thing. Like the last time I experienced ego death, which was not that long ago, that was the hardest thing. I had to gag myself and shut myself up because my ego kept talking and talking and talking and, and <laughs> projecting my shame about things that I didn't accept about myself onto others and say, those other people are critical of me for this and they're hurting me. And, like, and I had to shut up already and accept that I am what I am and that there's nothing wrong with it in silence. And that's what I mean by right. right? It's true. I, you know, there, I'm clumsy, I'm forgetful, I, you know, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. That's what, that's what, that's the point that I was making is like, and that's me naturally. And I can work to try to be less clumsy and to try to be less forgetful, of course, but I, 
I shouldn't be ashamed of what I am. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm beautiful the way I am. I, I can be funny. That can be funny. That can be humorous. That can be, that can lead to surprising results that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been clumsy or forgetful. Let, let me just modify my, yeah. my question on that a little sure. bit then. Um, what I mean is like, and I, I agree largely with, with what you're saying, but these values or ideals serve as a, you call, you call it a judge, call it a sounding board for our behavior. So when we act and then we appraise our action and we go, oh, that wasn't as conformed to an ideal as I wanted it to be. And that ideal may not just be like, you know, an artificial ideal. It could be the ideal of self-acceptance itself, right? And yeah. so what I'm asking is, how do you or how does one determine the proper ideal, the proper judge by which to assess their actions, refine them and move forward more, uh, more in a more integrated form as time yeah. goes on and as one you it's know, a great question. One learns from their it's behavior. It's a great question. And I'm, I'm early into, like I would say, nobody listen to me as though I've got the answer to this one. <laughs> like I, I'm days into this journey. Like not, not yet, right? Uh, so I am like a baby learning to walk on this. But I, I think in, when you accept yourself for what you are, without being harsh on yourself for about what you aren't or about what you are, and so your ego is not feeling defensive about what you are, you can more honestly judge what changes you want to make in yourself and what's an important change that you might want to explore and see about yourself. And, and what you, and you might let go of things that you have felt are inadequacies for a very long time and have therefore been very distracting to you and very damaging to your self-esteem and self-confidence. We've all got something, right? Like I think this is the beauty of, uh, one of the beauties in the movie Finding Nemo was Nemo had this little flipper, right? It was just like, it was his flaw. And, uh, and they tried to make light of it and this and that and the other. And, uh, and it, it, that's kind of this projection of we've all got this something about us that we, or in many things usually, that we think is our, are our flaws and we're self-conscious about it and it affects our self-esteem because we're different when we're not normal. But that's the way we normally actually, we naturally and normally are. And I think when we accept those things, it allows us to focus on the other things, you know, especially if you, if you accept the things you cannot change. I mean, this is, this is not me being the philosopher, right? Grant me the wisdom to know the things I can change and accept the things I cannot. And so I, and I think many of us don't have that when we look at ourselves, like we look at the outside world and we say, well, I can't change this and I can't change that. But we assume that we can change every single thing about ourselves. And then we come to these limitations, but I may, and maybe this isn't true for many people. Maybe this was just true very much for me. Most, most of my biggest psychological challenges, I believe came from being hard on myself and and often the ego protecting me from thinking it was me that it was hard on myself so somebody else might come down and say oh look you know you broke a glass and i would say oh you're telling me that i'm clumsy right you're telling me that i can't be try like no i didn't say that i just said oh look you broke a glass you're the one who projected all that stuff and you're the one who got mad at me for just stating a fact which i wasn't trying to use to mount a case against you that you're inadequate 
It was just observing a fact of reality, right? And, and so I was living in this world where I was so critical of myself and so defensive about it that I, per, I, that I perceived attacks where none existed from the people who loved me most. I think that that is, um, that's just what, you know, that's the layer of reality that I've now been able to enter into from the last time I experienced ego death. And, and now I'm exploring that. And the, I know there's other layers. I know there's depths that I haven't yet been able to confront because I have to, I have to get through this confrontation and maybe I'll have the courage next time and the patience to go through whatever's next. But I don't know when the next time is, and I don't know what it is that I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think part of the answer to that question, because it sounds to me like you're saying, well, like, what is a valid or even a righteous ideal or value or persona self-conception to judge myself by, right? That extremely harsh, self-critical one. No, that's, that's probably not it. But every, you know, all of our actions are determined in relation to a future conception or even a relation to a, a value or an ideal. And I think that's been the reason why I'm digging in on, on, you know, your recent conversion and your baptism and that your, your understanding or your relationship with Jesus, because I think the function of these culture heroes throughout history has been the ideals instilled in these characters perhaps are the most righteous judge to, to orient yourself by, right? Because they seem to be representations of pure love and pure compassion and pure truth and 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 these these ideals that i think if we just extracted them and and listed them we'd be like yeah those are those are pretty good ones to to orient yourself by you know mm -hmm. and 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 so the the question it, it's like it's still there's still going to be you're always going to be comparing yourself and your actions to something because that's how you move through the world and that's how you improve how you move through the world and that's how you improve your own sense of peace and joy and all those other things. But mm -hmm. the question is, the eternal question is, is that voice in my head and the, the, that or the, the mechanism by which my, the orientation of my perspective is constituted, what is the proper sounding board? What is the proper parameter to bump up against and try to conform with? And mm -hmm. it seems to me that these figures throughout history have been used as a means of communicating that to the broadest set of people. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I'm not equipped to um to offer a different perspective that, than that, right? Like I yeah, I I'm, I'm one person. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm I'm one person going through this particular journey and it's very interesting to hear what you have to have to say and and it's like it's something for me to continue to meditate on and and part of what's I think so exciting about this that I said is like there's a new frontier here for me at least. And I, I think that there's other people saying there's a new frontier for them, but we're not all on exactly, we're not all walk, taking the exact same steps down the exact same paths, right? We're all going down these similar journey, these unique journeys, some of which are similar. And, and so we're trying to express this view. Like I, another interesting point discussion I had with somebody recently while I was walking through the forest, it's like we all experience every single thing slightly differently green is probably not exactly the same experience to me as it is to as it is to you the taste of an orange is not exactly the same to me as it is to you i just I, i'm standing in a different location seeing things differently from you when i read a text 
I remember different words with more importance than you did. And so in, in that sense, it's like we live in two completely different universes. I, I've created a whole universe of my experience and you've created a whole universe of your experience. And yet somehow we are able to talk about this existence and have some coherence and some cohesion and some level of understanding, but it's not, it's not perfect. Right? It's, it's far from, there's a direct replica of my ideas in your mind and a direct replica of your ideas in my mind. They just, they're all personally experienced. And so just to kind of step back, it's like we're all on this, we're all on a solo journey. Uh, there, there are alliances we can form, there are, there are lessons we can learn from each other, but we still learn them in only the same way we do. I remember someone recently, like, uh, or there was this thing that went around Twitter and Facebook, which was, you know, here's a math problem. How do you solve, what are the steps you go through in your head to solve it? And it, I can't remember, it was like some multiplication and addition or something, or it was a multiplication problem. It was like, everybody has developed their own, despite the fact that we were taught a particular way to do math in school, we've all developed our own heuristics of how to think about 46 times seven. Right. Well, I think of it as 40 times seven plus six times seven, which, you know, and so I, I, I separate the 40 and the six so that I can put it together. And then I, I do an addition problem in my head and other people do other things. Uh, but I only do, I only do my thing. And so we're like, we, pers we, we all get to the same truth at the end of the day, but we have our own different paths of getting there and our own different perception of the nature of the problem. And some people visualize actual things and I operate in the realm of abstract numbers. So what am I trying to say here? It, it's, um, we're all on our own, we're all on our own journey and at different points on it. And I'm not sure what else I'm trying to say. I'm not sure that what, I have what's anything interesting, bigger than what's that. What's interesting is that we use these technologies of language and obviously we share certain mechanical components like, you know, how our eyes perceive color and all that kind of stuff in order to, to unite sufficiently to cooperate and, and act in certain ways as, as a unit. But we have, we have sufficient and perhaps requisite diversity that allows us to remain on the edge of chaos to delve into the realm of novelty and bring something mm -hmm. back. Because if we were all the same, if we all thought the same and all acted the same, mm -hmm. nothing ever changes, no progress is made, nothing gets, no more novelty is introduced into yeah. the universe, let's say. Yeah. But by virtue of our ability to both come together over what's right. similar and share enough yeah. understanding to cooperate, but also maintain the ability to individually delve into novelty and bring something back and, and share it with the whole. And again, I mean, we're, if you, if you look at this through kind of an archetypal lens, we're, we're back in the realm of religious or mythic narrative, you know, because that, you know, the, the hero that each of us is, is both the one that can harmonize with the people in our environment for the, you know, for the greatest good of, of everyone, but also mm -hmm. be sufficiently differentiated and have the courage and the capability to go off into novelty, whether that's novelty of thought or some you yeah. know, mystical adventure or whatever, to get something of great value, bring it back and contribute again to amplify the, 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 the wealth of the harmony that's been established, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Let's bring this back to Bitcoin for fun, because this, I don't know, this is somehow a Bitcoin related. So we're just saying we're all different. We're all completely unique. We all probably perceive every single thing differently and every, you know, and our construction is entirely unique except for our nodes. 
except except for the data that we both that we all store and are in complete and perfect synchronicity about, which is the state of the blockchain and the rules by which blocks and transactions can be added to the blockchain. This is this is a phenomenon that has never existed before, right? Like there has never been a perf perfectly flawless. Here I'm now am able able to use the word flawless and perfect um, replica distributed throughout you know throughout uh, the planet throughout humanity where you and I we both got nodes running somewhere I hope you do I've got a couple of them and uh, and they are in perfect fidelity with one another down to like what's in the mempool is not exactly the same but every block that they've accepted going all the way back from Genesis bit for bit identical and what will pass for the next valid block bit for bit identical I mean, not I can't pass something through your node that wouldn't pass through mine and vice versa there is there is this truth. Uh, we don't know exactly what the next block will be. I mean, we don't even know roughly what it'll be. We certainly, none of us know what the hash of that block will be. That's what the miners are working to discover one possible solution for. But the solution has a, <laughs> has a constraint. It can only exist within a certain range. It has to be below this target value. And, and we're all in perfect harmony about it, but it's not deter and it's not deterministic. Holy cow, right? Like it's, you know, nobody knows what the next block is going to be. There's no math you can do on the previous block that says, oh, the next block that will be discovered is this. Like it, if you know it, discover it, right? Like, but, um, but you can't predict ahead of anybody else's prediction of it, what the next block is. So it is this extraordinarily unique phenomenon that is unprecedented in all history where there is per like every copy of every other thing can be malleated, can be tampered with. This thing is tamper-proof and verifiable, and we're all in complete consensus about it. This is the first time we've ever, as a, you know, you and I probably can't agree fully on, like we can discuss any topic and we can't agree fully, fully, fully on it, which is nice, right? Can I, imagine if we agreed on everything. I wouldn't want to tell you. I remember exactly. I was once talking with Knut and I said, I promise to never tell you that I 100% agree with you on anything because what's the point in 100% agreeing with somebody on something? Like you want to, the reason you want to talk to them is to hear their unique perspective about it. But I 100% agree with you on the state of the blockchain down to the every bit, even though it's this 400 gigabyte file that keeps changing every 10 minutes. I, I, I know that you and I, because we both put it through the same scrutiny, agree about it. I think that there is something profound about, about this, which, which somehow resonates and bring and unifies us and brings us all together because you don't care about my bitcoins in particular and i don't care about your bitcoins in particular but we do because the state and chain the state of the blockchain must have it that the bitcoins that i care about are exactly in correspondence with the bitcoins that you care about there's no other version of the blockchain where the bitcoins you care about are intact and the bitcoins i care about are not intact so we all care about the same thing in its perfect in this perfect state that we're all maintaining and there's something there i don't have the answer to exactly what that what that is but there's something really there where it's suddenly we're all united in a common cause on a thing we absolutely actually 100 percent agree with and that's why we defend it so yeah. vigilantly uh, i i agree with that and it, it makes me think of an, an analogy and 
it could perhaps run deeper than a simple analogy, but let's just keep mm -hmm. it at that for now. And, you know, you, you mentioned mystical experiences and ego death, and this has obviously been a domain that's been a keen interest of mine for a long time. And my interpretation of what happens in those states is, you know, we call it ego death, but basically what happens is that all of the impediments to your liberation or to your freedom, which in this case are mostly thoughts about yourself or fears or insecurities or considerations or anything mm -hmm. are removed, mm -hmm. right? And what happens when you're liberated from yourself to that degree? So when, what happens when you have that degree of freedom? Well, most people or a lot of people, it's very common to have them describe a profound sense of unity with everything, you know, with all people, with all things, with the universe, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think love and unity are very closely related. Now, romantic love, let's say it's more specific, but a general type, I think, you know, the way I've conceived of it often is a recognition of the lack of separation between all things. And so in that case, what liberation has granted you is access to unity or love. And it's interesting that what Bitcoin as a network is doing is because it's free from extraneous information, because it's free from anyone being able to interrupt its truth, what mm -hmm. it grants access to, or, or by virtue of that freedom, what it constitutes are pristine relationships of unity between all those who interact with it. And mm -hmm. you might also call that relationships of love, at least from a mm -hmm. network level. And mm -hmm. so I find the, uh, I find that to be an interesting analogy. Yeah. Love is such a big word, right? And there's so many different ways. Of, it's it's like sweetness. There's different things are sweet in different ways. And, and of love, course, yeah. Love, Define love, love for me. Uh, yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, but when, when we talk about the love that Bitcoiners have for each other, we we don't even think about it that deeply. But we, we started this conversation by saying how uh, how energized Miami was and how you, you know, and the trust, right? Like this is one aspect of it. Anyone who came up to me and revealed themselves to be a Bitcoiner quickly had my undying trust, right? Like there were people, I was selling my book. It was a hardcover. It's an expensive book. And I was inscribing it for people. And there were a couple of instances where somebody said, you know what? I, my wallet isn't working or I didn't bring enough money. And I'm like, you know, my, you can find me on Twitter, take the book. I, you don't have to, pay me a penny or a Satoshi right now. I know you're good for it. You're a Bitcoiner. We've talked for 30 seconds. You've, you've, you've told me something that's revealed to me that you're a person of honor. And, and I think this is something that, right, one of the first ways that Bitcoin changes you is in saying it's pointless to lie. It, you stop lying and you realize, oh my God, what a load off my shoulders it is to not have to tell lies anymore and to just be honest <laughs> and to be able to trust other people. And so this is, the, this is one of the first ways that Bitcoin changes you. It makes you more honest and honesty is truth. And we're, and we're getting into this. And when you're surrounded by people who you can trust because they don't trust, right? Mind blow, mind blow right there. Don't trust verify in the system means that you're training people to behave in a way that they don't bother to try to behave untrustfully, untrustworthily, whatever the word is. Right. Um, and, and, uh, uh, it's so much in my previous life, like corporate world was people stick knives in your back the second you turn your back after pretending to be your friends. I've never had a Bitcoiner stick a knife in my back. 
metaphorically you know or, it's interesting realistically yeah about that i think the the same analogy that that i just tried to articulate actually works pretty good there too because when you meet these other bitcoiners it would seem that again they're being oriented by that you know their conscious machinery is getting upgraded or changed via mm. their pursuit of an understanding of bitcoin mm along the lines of a lot of these ideals and principles and values that we've been discussing mm -hmm. such that when you connect with them mm -hmm. all of the noise of like oh I, i'm not sure about this element or that aspect mm -hmm. or, or they're coming from this different perspective or whatever right. that is dramatically reduced now we often say we might just say oh we're kind of on the same wavelength and that's why we jive so well mm -hmm. but again you know if, if we want to extend the analogy what's happening is you're being freed from the extraneous or or uh, yeah. differentiating information yeah. between two people. And the yeah. result is a far closer union or relationship. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like the same principle playing out between one another on the Bitcoin network, one's yeah. relationship with God itself or with the idea it's of God so itself. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> my, my mind is literally scrambled all over the place, right? Like I, last year after the Bitcoin conference, which I didn't even go down to, but I watched it and I watched people's experiences. I wrote an article called Richer Poor Bitcoiners Have What Money Can't Buy. And it's been very widely read and people have really enjoyed it. And it basically boils down to pointing out that the process of becoming a Bitcoiner, which is first learning about it and then studying about it, like it causes you to, well, actually I should say, the article starts off by saying, there's a lot of things that money can't buy. It can't buy you intelligence. It can't buy you a friend. It can't buy you love, right? Like you can't go into a store and plunk down a bunch of money and say, I'd like some friends, you know, some real friends. I'd like someone, I'd like love. I'd like to be smart, right? I'd like to have integrity. There's a bunch of things I list off in there, honor, Money can't buy those things. But when you start going down the path of becoming a Bitcoiner, you have to study things. You have to challenge your mind. You have to know the truth. It, it, you know, you, you go crazy if you try to force lies into Bitcoin and, and be dishonest about it and make shit up very quickly. Everybody corrects you. There's very little sympathy for it, right? And, and like, you don't get, you don't manage to fool people for very long. You have to create a shit coin to fool people. Um, and so, by the time you've gone through this whole process, not only you, but all these other people around you have gone through this process that's challenged them to make them smarter, that's made them more truthful, that's made them find other people that they can trust so that people that they can have friends, be friend, be real friends with and, and be in love with. And, and so whether you have a lot of Bitcoin or not, whether Bitcoin's worth a lot or not in monetary terms, You've acquired these things through the process of becoming a Bitcoiner, these things that money can't buy. You've done the work, right? And this is why we talk about doing the work, the proof of work. And there all of the, there's all these incredible ties that are, we kind of laugh at them a little bit, right? That smile on your face that I see right now. It's like, oh, this is the proof of work. But the, understanding Bitcoin is proof of work. Being able to explain that I, that I know this is because I've done the work. And so have you. And now we and now we both, having done the work, know what the truth of, of it of this system and its conditions. And and we know that we know. I know that you know that you can't cheat me, and you know that I know that you can't cheat me. So we're not going to cheat each other. Like there's all this stuff, and 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 that compares to this other world where people are constantly lying. Like every ad on TV is a lie. Every show on TV is a lie. 
everybody's pushing the limits of what they can get away with in terms of being accused of lying and having committed crimes, but nobody's just giving the God's honest truth. And there's this purity of truth of every single thing in Bitcoin. Like it, it verifies or it fails to verify. And if it fails to verify, it's not a part of the system. That's a really, really powerful thing to have. Um, and, and I, I think it's what is creating this culture of curiosity of truth. Like if I found it, if we, we get addicted to having discovered truth and having found that we've been able to obtain these things that money can't buy. And now we're chasing even more, we're chasing spiritual enlightenment, right? It's like what maybe now that I, because Bitcoin's given us the con Bitcoin doesn't have the answers. It's not like you look closely at the blockchain and written inside of it is, <laughs> is who God really is and what he really wants from you. Like, it's just, I've, I've gotten enough self-confidence to know that I'm not taking orders from, uh, go back to the beginning of this thing, I'm not taking orders from the government saying this is what money is. I've decided that this is what money is because I've studied, not arbitrarily, because I just on a whim, that's like there's 15,000 other shit coins that you can on a whim decide that's the one that's money. This one is because it's true. This one is because everything in it is verifiable and nothing in it is falsifiable, right? Like that's, that's and that's what's creating this community and this love and this truth and this freedom. Like these are the three things you said, right? And so here in this system is this, this very mechanical and still very beautiful truth and freedom and love. And, uh, and it's amazing to watch because it, it starts at a mechanical base, but beautiful things grow around it and grow out of it. Just like, I guess, we start at this mechanical deterministic atomic base, but these beautiful human beings grow out of it. And that's, I think that's what we're seeing. And that's why it's such a beautiful movement uh, right now and, and promises to continue to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it makes me think of a few minutes ago, we were talking about how should you conceptualize the ideal to which you are going to be judged by, right? Because mm -hmm. it's inevitable, right? And we look at something like Bitcoin and it obviously emits or espouses certain ideals. You just mentioned mm -hmm. one proof of work, put the work in. Another yeah. one is don't lie, can't lie. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so we, in many yeah. cases, I think what we're doing is we're looking at this thing and saying, what are the qualities or, or, or attributes that it mm -hmm. operates by? And then we're mm -hmm. saying, oh, they seem incredibly valid, perhaps right. the most valid. And yeah. if, if it's being, I mean, should we not then try to transmute those values into ourselves and, and operate or constitute our perception by them as well? And what might be the outcome of doing so? And what's really interesting is, one, the answer seems to be yes and yes, and that the outcome would be good. And as more and more people do this, and because we're dealing with a means of expressing value here, not just an idea of value, then mm -hmm. as more and more people do that, those very attributes, that, or let's say the, the manifestation of, of the actions that stem from those values or ideals like truth and sincerity and equality and these sorts of things, they will be upregulated. You know, I mentioned this in the, in the chat with uh, uh, Jeff and Preston and Greg last night, because those, the, like, the the people that value them will be expressing that value through the the token of the expression of value which is you know mm -hmm. satoshis which is bitcoin yeah. and so what i'm super excited about is that it, you know in addition to this 
explosion of intellectual curiosity and discovery that's happening and this reconstituting of everything that's going on, which we're obviously just at the very beginning of, right. I think we're also entering a period where all this refinement that's finding its ways into people's minds and that they're upgrading themselves with, they're also going to be expressing the, the newly appreciated value that they're placing on those things out into the world when they, when they take action. Yeah. And what that means is that all the, you know, the people that are likewise expressing these, what we would probably deem higher values are going to be rewarded and they're going to be incentivized and they're going to be upregulated as a result. And I, you know, again, no utopia, but I do think that's going to mean a world where those values are elevated far beyond where they currently are Absolutely. in the current world and that's the current exactly system. It. There's no such there's no such thing as utopia, but there is such a thing as dystopia, which always comes out of someone <laughs> pursuing utopia, right? Like the more we just let things be, and this is where this is freedom's tie, right? Like let people be free, let them figure out. You can't. Part of the reason for it is you cannot freeze the state of the world. You can't get us all to nirvana and then stop time. Right. Time just keeps flowing. Change keeps happening. You can't stay in a constant state of bliss. You can't stay at a constant high, right? Like it's not a high if it's the constant level that you're at. Like it has to be compared to a low. It has to be compared to something. And there has to be the tran the traveling from low to high. It's not just a quantum leap each time. So all of this is part of the experience, right? Lows and highs are, are part of the experience of life. And if you cling to the to the high, you end up becoming an addict of some sort, which can't sustain it and you come crashing down or, or worse later on. And this is, you know, that's expressed in a single individual. When you try to do it with a civilization, that's expressed in dystopia. You know, the, you eventually end up in this dystopia. You end up in a brave new world situation where everybody's literally high all the time and nobody's, nobody knows what love is or what happiness even is because they don't experience any suffering and pain. So they can't compare and contrast these two things. Which we're not far from as a global culture today. Yeah, well, no, look, and this, this is, <laughs> this is what I want to show people that the Bitcoiners are, have broken away from, right? And I think it's true, and yeah. and I, it's certainly true for many Bitcoiners. And by showing that, I think it'll help other Bitcoiners and no coiners see this is freedom, right? Like this is breaking free of the brave new world. Combined with 1984, combined with every other dystopian novel that everybody ever warned <laughs> us about that we still marched straight into. Um, well, that's going to be a yeah. challenging film to, or a challenging idea to showcase, but I'm extremely excited to, yeah. to see how you do it. I can't, I can't wait uh, for it to start to come together. I'm very enthusiastic about it and it's, and it's, it's a dream. So um Awesome. I'll, I'll get cracking on it right away. Um, Tomer, is there anything else that you wanted to crack into here today? No, this was good. I wanted to come. I wanted to come and talk to you because I wanted to get some things off my chest, and I think I got all those things and then some off of my chest. So this has been very helpful for me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Stuff that needed to get said got aired. Well, Thank I appreciate you. you being, you know, so open with your thoughts and your experiences and stuff like that. And you know, as you said at the beginning. I really value these conversations because, you know, we're, we're I think a, a lot of us can appreciate that we're on the cusp and in the presence of something truly unique. And there's something within ourselves that we're trying to actualize, but yeah. we're trying to gain greater clarity on what that is and how to do it. Right. And these right. conversations, even though, like, I know from my perspective, I mean, I always enjoy them, but I, I sometimes I think about any, someone listening and I'm thinking like, I can appreciate if some people might think this subject matter is repetitive, but mm -hmm. for me, like you kind of have to, 
go back to the same well many times before things crystallize and you can take that crystallization and move on to the next step. And so, you know, I appreciate you being a willing partner in that. Yeah. And I, I, my, my reflection on that comment that you just made is like, even if we were the only two people doing this and we enjoyed it, absolutely. Absolutely. That's okay. But I I will say like, I, I, I made someone who I, I made, a good friendship or something that I think is going to be a good friendship of someone who watched our last podcast and came over at the conference and said, I really, really enjoyed it. Do you have some time to let, to talk? And I sat and talked with this person on three occasions, like of all the, at, at the conference. And I'm hoping that, and I'm certain that we will find more time uh, to spend time with each other over the coming years. So it's just, um, that's you know, beautiful. It makes me yeah, very happy. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. more valuable than 10,000 people saw it and gave it a thumbs up. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. A real friend out of it. So, awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, Tomer, I will let you get back to your day, and uh, I'm sure we'll do this again at some point, sure. maybe six to twelve months from now, when we've when we've had a chance to uh, chew on these concepts a little bit more, Absolutely. and we we have more to throw back at each other. Yeah, after the next big conference, or maybe after a film comes out, or something like that. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Okay, great. All right, brother. Well, Take care. All the best. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah. Bye, bye.